I'm in Romans chapter 5 because I'm preaching through Romans. I have creatively titled this sermon series Romans. So, Romans chapter 5 is where we are and we get there and we read a therefore. And the therefore is there for everything that's said in chapters 1, 2, 3, 4. And it really sort of reads like Christmas. When you talk to a child at Christmas, did you have a good Christmas? Yeah. Well, what happened? Well, I got this, and then I got that. And they'll start listing off what they got and what they enjoyed. And Paul starts listing for us some of the benefits of being in Christ, being justified, being made right with God. And so I would love for you to take your Bible and go with me to Romans chapter 5 and begin reading with me in verse 1. If you have a copy of God's Word, I invite you to use it. If you have an iPhone, an iPad, some other electronic device, use that or look up here on the wall. Romans chapter 5, and we begin in verse 1. Therefore, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into the hearts, into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. The Bible says here, because we have been justified. Another way to understand that is because we've been made right with God. Because we've heard the gospel and responded to the gospel. Because God's grace has been made clear to us and we've exercised faith and trusted Him as our Lord and Savior. Because we're right with God. So this applies to anybody For whom Jesus is Lord, Master, King, Boss, Ruler, Authority, however you want to refer to it, this is a message to those who are redeemed. Now, in order to put that in context, go back with me to Romans chapter 3. If you have your Bibles, just flip a page. If you have a device, just swipe and go over to Romans chapter 3. Because there's a particular passage that we looked at a few weeks ago And it is so significant to understand what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 5. So Romans 3, look at verse 21, just 21 through 26. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God, the fact that he is right and we are wrong, but we can be made right with him and it is going to be through him. So the righteousness of God, according to Romans 3, has been manifested, has been shed abroad, has been made clear apart from the law. That means you will never do anything to earn salvation. You'll never keep the law perfectly. You'll never work your way into heaven. The righteousness of God is going to come through one way only. The law and the prophets, according to Romans 3... Testify to it, but look at verse 22. The righteousness of God is through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So when you hear the story of Jesus and when His grace reaches out to you and you respond in faith, that is how the righteousness of God comes to us. For there's no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That means every single one of us is wrong with God, but we can be right with God. 
And we are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation. Y'all probably remember that fun little word. The payment of our sin debt. The one who will satisfy the wrath of God. God himself put forward his son Jesus, who is our propitiation. By his blood, to be received how? By faith. It always comes back to our faith. Our faith, our faith, my faith, your faith. We hear the story. We want to respond. We've got to do that by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So because of the truth of Romans chapter 3, we now have this beautiful testimony in Romans chapter 5 of what you and I benefit with in the gospel. And the first thing I want you to notice with me from Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 5 is that we have peace. P-E-A-C-E. We think about that as the absence of war. We think about that as tranquility. I think you and I know what peace is because we're so familiar with a lack of peace. We live in a world where there is not much tranquility. And so I think when you and I look at various aspects of our world, we get an idea of what peace is, but it's because we don't find peace. Think with me culturally. As this world shrinks and this culture becomes familiar with that culture, there's not peace. Because this culture is different from that culture, and they think different, and they act different, and they respond different. And as our world is more and more connected, and we learn more and more about different cultures, there's a lack of peace culturally. Religiously, we live in a world where there are a great many religions. And as you and I become familiar with those, we find out that there is not peace. And lest I just go on and on and talk about other religions, I could look within our own religion, a subset of Christianity. The Methodist Church is in the news again this week. And with great sadness, there's still talk of a schism that's going to come. So religiously, you and I can look in our world and see there is a lack of peace. Therefore, we could better understand what peace is when we see the lack of it. Socially, unless you have had your head buried in the sand, in our particular culture, there is social unrest because there are different opinions on social issues. And whether you consider yourself to be part of the left or the right, conservative or liberal, there is a lack of peace socially in our particular culture, militarily. Uh, again, unless you've missed the news, there is an upswing in some military action. And so militarily speaking, in various parts of the world, there is unrest. There is a lack of peace. Politically, now really, unless you've missed this... <laughs> There's a lack of political peace in our own country, in our own culture. And so whether you would consider yourself this side, that side, right, left, red, blue, Republican, Democrat, it matters not. What we do see is there is a clear demarcation between two sides in our country. So you and I can understand what peace is when we see a lack of peace in various other aspects. But I'm telling you, we don't have to go that far to see a lack of peace. We can look in our own lives. 
Because some of you here today are experiencing a lack of peace. There's conflict in your family. There's conflict in relationships. There's conflict in the workplace. There's conflict with your children. We know what the absence of peace is. Our struggle is to make sure we understand the significance of peace. And the Bible here says we have peace. But it says specifically we have peace with God. Now I know y'all are looking forward to a Greek lesson, so the moment has come. Uh, the word that Paul uses is the word irene. Irene is the word in New Testament Greek for peace. But behind it, the history of that word is the root word iro, which means to bind together that which has been separated. Now, I know y'all are so fired up about that Greek lesson. I'm going to go a little bit further and tell you it's the present active indicative. The fact that it's in the present tense means it's ongoing. It didn't just happen and it was done. The present tense means it's ongoing. It's in the active voice, which means the subject was acted on. And it's indicative, which means it's real. In the Greek, it's the mood of assertion. So what the Bible says is that if we've been justified, then you and I have a real, ongoing, continuing peace relationship with God. And that's a good word. So what's the big deal? Well, if you've been justified, you ought to know what the big deal is. Let me give you a few. Number one, God's not mad at you. A lot of folks breeze through life and they think, well, God hates me. God's mad at me. I'm going to tell you what, God always and forever loves you. But I'm telling you what, when you're made right with him, uh, all of that animosity ought to fall away. God's not mad at you. God loves you and God wants good things for your life. A second thing I can tell you about this peace relationship is that God's not going to walk out on you. He said, I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Now, there are folks here in this world and in our lives and in our families, and they'll leave us and they'll forsake us. Guess who never will? The God who says, I love you. And he has all you need. There's another good thing to understand in this whole peace relationship. God has all that we need. Paul told the church at Philippi in chapter 4, verse 19 of a letter to them that God will supply all your needs. What's the big deal? God specializes in putting together things that are broken. And guess what's broken? You and me. But God is good at putting our lives back together. We excel at breaking things. We have a sin nature. Did you know that? I know you know that. Nobody ever had to teach you how to sin. Nobody ever had to teach your children how to sin. Everybody just knows how to sin. But lest we blame that sin nature, the real issue is not just that we have a sin nature. We sin. We break God's laws. We break man's laws. We break people's hearts. We break relationships. We constantly make a mess of things. But the Bible says that when we're justified, God, we have peace with him. He's binding together that which has been broken. And I'm telling you, he's a whole lot better at putting things together than you and I are. He'll put it together, and it'll stay together, and it'll look just right. I told the first service about a trip that I took several years ago to a particular part of the world where they're known for painting pottery plates and things like that. When our kids were little and I'd have these overseas trips, Ashley would joke and say, Well, you can go if you'll bring me back something. So in this particular country, they are known for plates, painted plates. So I said, yes, we'll do that. So in this particular city, I'd had meetings. I told my host, I said, i got to go shopping. 
And I said, I got to go buy a plate. Well, they knew which street to take me to. And if you've shopped overseas, you go in this store, that store, this store, you haggle over what you want. So I'm looking, and I found this plate. And I thought, well, if it looks good to me, surely it'll be pretty to Ashley. And it was up high, and I said, that's the one I want. And uh, they got it down, and I said, I'm getting on an airplane tonight. I need you to wrap it up really good. Pack it good, and I said, because it needs to go back to the States with me. And they did that, and then I told my host, I said, I'm worried to death about that uh, plate. And they said, well, we've got this computer bag we don't use anymore. Put it in there. There's extra padding. So I did, went off to the airport, got there to check in, and they said, you can't carry on all of that. you got to check something. And in my chaos, I let them grab that computer bag. And about halfway over the Atlantic, I remembered what was in that bag. And I got home, and I pulled that thing out of that little computer bag, and it just kind of fell out. And I was broken hearted. And I said, well, let me get some Gorilla Glue, some Super Glue. I'm not advocating either one of those if y'all are listening to my sermon at your corporate headquarters. <laughs> I'm sure they are. And I did the best I could to put this thing back together. Now, from a distance, it looks pretty good, doesn't it? Boy, you turn that thing around, you see cracks everywhere. I tell you that to tell you something, that often our sin results in broken lives, broken pieces, things that are not as they're supposed to be. But our God is absolutely phenomenal at taking all the brokenness of our lives and putting it back together. And we may have some scars. If you get up close, you're going to see some scars. <laughs> And you're going to find out that sometimes we, it's not malicious. We're just not even thinking. We just make a mess. But I'm telling you, God puts it back together. The significance for those who've been justified is that you and I have peace with God. Now, the second thing that... The, it'd be terrible if I dropped it and broke it right here, wouldn't it? The second thing that this passage says that's pretty important for us is not only that we have peace, but we have access by faith. If you still have your Bibles, look with me. We're now back in Romans chapter 5. In uh, verse 2, it says, Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. We have access by faith. Access. That, that's describing somebody who was on the outside and didn't deserve to be on the inside. That's somebody who was not regularly welcomed. In fact, the language that Paul uses here was the language of entering the presence of a ruler or a monarch. And so the Bible says we have access by faith into the grace. Now I'm going to tell you, this is a key thing for us to understand. Not just that we have access, that the door has been opened. Okay, the door is open. We've got our credentials. We are provided a way for us to be introduced into the realm of the Almighty. So we have access. So don't miss that. Salvation, access. But it is access into the grace in which you and I stand. When you and I come to salvation, it is by grace. It's not by keeping of the law. It's not by doing good works. It's not by being warm and fuzzy and friendly to everybody you meet. It is by grace we've been saved 
Through faith. You read that in Ephesians chapter 2. So it is grace that is working to bring about our salvation. I think all of you understand, but let me say it this way. Grace isn't just something we come through. It's also something we come to. Therefore, if you are a child of God, you don't just come through grace to be saved. You come into His grace to live. Now understand, grace refers to salvation, but it's also our standing. It's a position, but it's also our practice. Look again at verse 2. Through Him... We have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand. It is, in my mind, as simple-minded as I am, as if the grace of salvation introduces us into the grace of our living So it's grace in which we now stand. A sufficient amount introduces us into a significant amount. Does that make sense? Are y'all awake? There's three people over here amening me. What's happened to the rest of y'all? All right? Listen, this sufficient grace, sufficient for our salvation, introduces us into a significant amount of grace in which we live, in which we are sustained. When we're saved, we're brought in. We're granted access into the presence of God and salvation through His Son, Jesus. But we're going to find out in Romans chapter 5, verse 21, in just a few days, that we are given access into the realm in which grace reigns. So it's not just that we're brought in, but we are brought in to stay in. It is the realm where God's grace reigns. Are you, who wouldn't want to be in the realm where God's grace reigns? As opposed to this worldly existence. As opposed to the sin and ugliness of this world. As opposed to this realm where everything is broken. Who one wouldn't, wouldn't, I can't even talk, I like it so much. Who wouldn't want to be introduced into the realm where grace reigns? Now, again, I have to think this through in my little brain. I grew up in Birmingham, Alabama. There was a place called Pete's Hot Dogs. Anybody ever been to Pete's Famous Hot Dogs? Some of you have had that experience. You could fit three Pete's Hot Dogs on this stage, couldn't you? I'm not lying. You, you walk in, and, and you walk in to stand. And normally, you just raise your finger, which meant how many hot dogs you wanted. I can remember going as a kid. Amazed at how many hot dogs my dad could eat, but also amazed at this existence. This place had been in business forever. People cram into this little thing, raise a finger, eat a hot dog, drink a grapey coke, and go out. The guy behind the counter, I'm telling you what was special in the sauce, all the sweat pouring off of him. <laughs> how, how many you want, you know? And as a kid, you don't think about it, but now I'm kind of getting a little, <laughs> that was the secret sauce. Little bitty Pete's hot dogs, okay? It had been there. It was great. I'm telling you, I like hot dogs, but at the end of the day, they're just hot dogs. You know? You can dress them up a lot of ways, but at the end of the day, they're just hot dogs. 
That, that, that's one realm of restaurants in Birmingham. Compare that with what was voted the number one restaurant in America, Highlands Bar and Grill. Guess what? Nobody's sweating in your food at Highlands Bar and Grill. They got people dressed nice with ties that come up and take care of everything. If you get a little crumb in front of you, they'll brush that off. It's a totally different experience. You got tablecloths, you got a place to sit down. Grapeco's not even on the menu. Okay, so think about that in those terms. Here's this, which is that, but you can have this. With God's grace, we're taken from this mess of this world into something glorious, the realm where grace reigns. That same Birmingham on the west side where I'm from, west side, baby. Um, <laughs> I'm tougher than I look. I've told you all that, and some of you still don't believe it. Um, we had a little place called Kitty Land. It was a few acres of old amusement park rides. Anybody ever been to Kitty Land? Y'all remember? It was small, right? Take your life in your hands. Buy your tickets. Get in the laugh in the dark. Scare yourself to death. Scare, I'm, st I'm, I'm jittery up here just thinking about the laugh in the dark. Are you laughing at the laugh in the dark? It ain't funny when a kid's scared, Brad. <laughs> Little bitty roller coaster, not much to it. You give me a hand truck and one of these chairs, I can give you that thrill today in the church hallways. I'm there. It wasn't much to it. That spinny thing, I don't remember what it was called. Kitty land, few acres, fun, great. 1976, I went to the Magic Kingdom for the first time. That ain't no kitty land. I mean, thousands of acres. Good night. They got a castle there. It's amazing. So compare that. You got this little existence over here where some folks are satisfied, but I'm telling you, you can be introduced to something glorious where the grace of God reigns. And so the Bible says that if you and I have been justified, we have peace with God, but we also have access into this place where God's grace reigns. What is the significance of that? It is grace, it is grace, it is grace. That you and I are not just saved by grace, but we can be sustained and strengthened by grace. And so when you and I are justified, we move from this existence to that existence. So what is God's grace? Well, I, I could spend months trying to explain that. Not sure that I'll ever fully understand. Did y'all see that? I'm loving this sermon today, buddy. It's a wonder how that plate got broke, you know? Uh, preachers for years have described grace as God's unmerited favor, and that's true. It, it, is, it is God's unmerited favor that He would love us as He does, undeserving as we are. Man, I'm telling you, that's grace. Someone, I don't know who, I don't know when, uh, they said it is God's riches at Christ's expense, using the letters of grace. And that's true. It's Jesus went to the cross so that you and I can have God's grace poured out on us. It's through him. Nothing we can do. The old Bible scholar, Jameson, who said, It is God's gratuitous favor in the scheme of redemption. So, so God's gratuitous, more than we deserve, favor... In the scheme of redemption, that you and I, when we come to this whole spiritual discussion of redemption, it is God's gratuitous favor. Adrian Rogers, the great pastor and preacher, said that grace is both the desire and the ability 
to do the will of God. And I think about that. There's truth in that. That you and I are saved by grace, but then over here we're sustained and strengthened by grace. So when the flesh wants to say something angry, but instead says something loving, that's grace. When the flesh says, I'm not going to forgive, but grace gives you the strength to forgive, that's grace. Uh, when the flesh wants to sin, when the flesh wants to pursue this particular thing that ought not, and, and grace strengthens you to avoid it, to, to run from it. Man, that's God's grace. All of this is true. Charles Allen said in the Bible there are three distinctive meanings of grace. Allen said it means the mercy and the active love of God, number one. Number two, it means the winsome attractiveness of God. Isn't that a good way to say that? Number three, it means the strength of God to overcome. Now, I, I, I don't know if y'all have heard of this song. They're hoping it'll make something soon. It's called Amazing Grace. And, and I had put in my notes these three things that I believe are true about Grace. It saves us, but strengthens and sustains us. Then I looked at amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Man, that's salvation, right? Newton went on. "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed." I think that's strengthening. But then sustaining, through many dangers, toils, and snares, we have already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. That's sustenance. And in this, the Bible says, in this grace, we not only have access to it, but we stand in it. That, that has an idea of permanence. Once saved, always saved. We're a Baptist church. It's what we believe. That's what we teach. That grace, God's grace, which we do not deserve, which we cannot earn, it doesn't give up. He's not going to abandon us. And we stand in it. It means to firmly remain, to continue steadfastly. Our standing in grace is ongoing and continuing. We don't stand in grace today and say, oh, I hope I can make it tomorrow. Friend, I'm telling you, that's not grace. We need to stand in it. We need to be sure in it. We need not give up on it. Did y'all know I read recently and I thought, wow, this will fit. <laughs> I hope it does. The last Japanese soldier from World War II, did y'all know this? Did not surrender until 1972. They took this man, I've got his name, I won't do it justice, Hiro Onada. He was dispatched to Lubang, Philippines in 1944. He was an intelligence officer trained in what you and I know as guerrilla warfare. They took him to that island. He said, they said, you need to strengthen our forces. The Americans are coming. The Filipinos are fighting. You need to not surrender and don't kill yourself, but try to disrupt everything they're doing. Well, the Americans showed up in December of 1944. Excuse me. The Americans landed in February of 1945. When the Americans got there, things got different. He was able to convince three other Japanese soldiers to go with him deeper into the jungle. And from his position in the jungle, he would disrupt things that the Americans and the Filipinos were doing. And he did this, and he did this, and he did this. 
The war ended August 1945. Just, just a few weeks after that, planes are dropping leaflets to tell the soldiers the war is over. He told his three guys, he said, that's a lie. We can't give up. Man, they kept on fighting. One of his uh, colleagues, that's not really what you call him, but one of his colleagues in 1949, now this is four years later, he said, this is crazy. They said the war was over. I can't believe. He marched out of the jungle, surrendered. The other one stuck with him. And in 1950, they were surrounded and, and, and all these skirmishes began to happen, and another of his colleagues was killed. 1972, the last of his colleagues was killed by Filipino police who were trying to get him out of the jungle. There was a guy in the Philippines who was a Japanese national, and he said, I've got to go find this man and befriend him. And he did. And he goes in and he's telling, I'm telling you, the war is over. The guy said, I'll not surrender unless my superior officer tells me to surrender. They went and found his superior officer. Old man working in a bookstore in Tokyo. They flew him to the Philippines in 1972. Gave him a loudspeaker and said, hey, give up. <laughs> you can come out. It's over. He come marching out with a samurai sword, laid it down. Man, I'm telling you, that felt, that's who you want on your team, isn't it? Good night. He stood. He wasn't going to give up. And I'm telling you, you and I, don't you give up on the grace of God. Because it sure isn't going to give up on you. We stand in the access that we have into God's grace by faith. A.W. Pink, I don't know if y'all know that name. It is forever etched in my brain because I cited him in a research paper in seminary. And my professor at Beeson said, don't quote him. You can do better. But I'm telling you, Pink's pretty good. Listen to what he said of this. It is utterly and absolutely impossible that the sentence of the divine judge should ever be revoked or reversed, sooner shall the lightnings of omnipotence shiver the rock of ages than those sheltering in him again be brought under condemnation. Friend, I'm telling you, if we've been justified, then we have peace and we have access, and finally we rejoice. Look at what Paul said. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Is endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. We rejoice. It's not an empty celebration. We rejoice because of the hope of the glory of God. We rejoice. If you need to know what you can rejoice in, you have peace with God and access to God. You can rejoice in that. But he, he gives us a word that a lot of Christians in America don't like to hear. We need to rejoice in our sufferings. Now, the word that's used is a generic term for sufferings. But some scholars say it should be reserved for sufferings as a Christian because of our faith. I think there's truth to that. But I'm telling you, we're going to be a better testimony if we also learn to rejoice in the everyday sufferings of life. And so we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces endurance. If you rejoice in this, you learn endurance. If you endure this, you're ready for what comes next. And then it says endurance produces character. Character, this word, it's the proven genuineness of something through testing. When you and I go through trials, that's when we really grow. 
And when the world sees us growing and glorying in those trials, man, it makes Jesus very real to this world. So we rejoice in our sufferings because uh, suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character. Character produces hope. This is not like, I hope I get this for Christmas. It is a certainty that God loves us, we're secure in Him, and we're going to make it through because of who God is. And he ends these verses by saying, hope does not put us to shame. Can I remind you, there's no shame in putting your hope in the Lord Jesus. We live in a world that will say otherwise, but I'm telling you on the authority of God's Word, there is no shame in putting our hope in God. Because he's poured out his love on us. (laughs) Did y'all know it rained this weekend? Were y'all about sick of the rain? I was like, good night. How much more can it rain? I thought I was starting to mildew. Y'all remember Christmas 2015? Man, I didn't think it ever quit raining. I thought somebody in Arab ain't living right. God sent in a biblical flood. Somebody, I thought they were in my neighborhood. Somebody just down the road from me, the water got up close to their house. We thought it was going to come in, but I'll tell you what. I noticed this week with it raining. I, I had a rain jacket I put on. I had an umbrella that I used. I was hoping I didn't get my feet wet. You know, when it comes to the love of God, we can put the umbrella down. We can take the rain jacket off. We need to enjoy The love that God is pouring out on us. What's the significance? Somebody today. You need to experience that love of God in salvation. You've heard it. You know it. And you know you need Him. Would you just trust Him today? Some of you just need to put down the rain gear and appreciate the love of God for the strength that you need for the sustenance that you need. We come in here week after week, and I'm telling you, we're all needy at one level or another. So this week, maybe it is to be saved. Maybe it is to be strengthened. Maybe it is to be sustained. Whatever it is, when it's just if I'd never sinned, I have peace with God, I have access to God, and I have hope in God. Would you pray with me? Today, Lord, we thank you for the hope that is ours through Christ. We thank you for the love that you pour out on us. We thank you that your love is poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. So, Lord, by that Holy Spirit, would you speak to hearts today for the one that needs to be able to Have peace with you, peace in their lives. God, I pray they'll find it in you. For the one who may have never understood or appreciated what it means to have access to you and to stand in your grace, to move from this world of brokenness and sorrow into the amazing realm where your grace reigns. God, speak to them. Bring God, give us hope. There are some today who are enduring and need hope. God, help them. Whatever you'll do, Lord, you take your word. Holy Spirit, you speak to us. You draw us to you. And Lord, as we sing, help us not to just go through the motion and sing, worried about what's next. Lord, help us to meet with you now. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.